This is Working to Beat for Friday, June 10th, 2020. I'm Kevin Coney along with Mike Kern. Glad you could join us here on the podcast. We got a good one coming up for you today. As lots of news breaking left and right over the last couple days, the Ivy League shutting down, the Big Ten going to a conference-only schedule. JT Real Muto doesn't want to talk about this contract. The Sixers head for the Orlando bubble. And the NFL issuing some guidelines, which sound all a little silly. Uh, all of those topics on the table with our guest today. It's Mike Missinelli from 97.5 The Fanatic and NBC Sports Philadelphia. Mike, a veteran reporter, formerly of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Then he went to uh, 94 WIP. Uh, left, went to, uh, I was the host of the Great Sports Debate. Left. Uh, for a while, went to New York to work with Stephen A. Smith, and then back to 97.5, where he has been the top rated for a lot of books, uh, afternoon uh, time slot host uh, for a long time. So Mike will join us, and we'll talk about everything that's going on. On Tuesday of next week, uh, we'll give you a rundown of the shows next week. Uh, Tuesday, we'll have Dave Jones from the Harrisburg Patriot News. He is scheduled to join us as we'll talk more about the Big Ten's decision to go conference only and why that's the harbinger of maybe things to come with college football and maybe a bigger postponement or cancellation, if you will, going forward. Uh, there is a real sense that the uh, the Big Ten, the Big Ten is now the one who's going to push the agenda for the Pac-12, which may make an announcement later on Friday about doing the same thing. Uh, the ACC could be doing it, the Big 12, and the SEC is holding steady to that they're going to try to keep the non-league games in at this point. So uh, we'll talk to Dave on Tuesday. Next Thursday, it'll be Matt Gelb from The Athletic, covers the Phillies for The Athletic. Uh, we'll get some conversation going as the Phillies will be less than, or right about a week away from resuming, or starting, rather, the 2020 season. Uh, and, of course, between now and then, a lot can happen with uh, with whatever's happening within their bubble. I'm not even sure it's a bubble, to be honest. Uh, you know, the testing concerns. Buster Posey, I know, the last three days has missed workouts for the Giants. Uh, so MLB's long road continues uh, to try to get in a 60-game season, which I think most people, if you talk to them on True Serum, don't believe will get in. And, of course, all that is subject to change if the guests have to back out uh, because of um, schedules or late-breaking news or just the events change. You know, And the events have changed pretty rapidly here in the last few weeks when it comes to all this stuff. So we will... Uh, we will alter if need be, but that is the plan. Dave Jones on Tuesday... And Matt Gelb on Thursday. When we come back, Mike Missanelli will join us to talk Phillies, uh, Philadelphia sports, and everything going on. That's X. Work of the Beat continues right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work of the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out 
to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, a veteran of many a year. I hate saying it that way because that sounds... Uh, it sounds like he's old, and he's not. But yeah, um, oh yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Formerly of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and now the uh, afternoon host on ninety-seven five, the Fanatic, and simulcast on NBC Sports Philadelphia, uh, and a former colleague on the beat with Mister Kern. It's Mike Missanelli. Mike, how are you, guys? How you doing? I'm glad good. to be here, uh, Kevin. I remember about thirty years ago. I could be a little off. Mike and I are walking out of McGonagall Hall covering a Temple game, and we're near the parking lot. Mike takes me aside. He goes, you know, Mike, I, I got this offer from the radio. Okay. He goes, what do you think? And he tells me, and, you know, he, he didn't kind of maybe know what to do. And I said, look, Mike, my best advice, take it. It was a three-year contract, I believe. I said, save all the extra money they're giving you, and if it doesn't work out, you have all that extra money. Well, it worked out. So Mike didn't have to worry about that, but – I might have been one of the first people to know that he was he was joining a better profession. Well, I think you were, but it, it was a one-year contract. Oh, I thought it was a three. No, the three came after. Oh, one, okay. It was a one-year contract that uh, uh, that that was the precarious part about it. Like, it was oh. with one year, and it was for more money than I was making as a newspaper guy, obviously. So that alone got my attention, and uh, – I didn't know where it was going to go, but I think at the time I, I wanted to make a change anyway, either, either I was going to practice law or I was going to do something different than newspapers. I wanted to stay with the inquiry cause I wanted to be a libel lawyer with the inquiry really. And that never really worked out. So they, they, they didn't have any, they had like four lawyers on their staff at the inquiry. And I thought that good idea might be to mobilize their staff and have their own in-house staff, but they, they delegated all the legal work outside. Yeah, and we walked. Well, so that changed walked, my mind about things. We walked some high school sidelines together. Oh, but I, and see, <laughs> this is the thing about like when I, when I see people get into sports talk radio now, because we had that that fundamental grassroots way to get in this business. Yeah, and these, these kids come out of college now, and they they want to they want to be a sports talk host in a major market. But you know, we paid dues to get to that spot. So, and and in paying dues, you develop wisdom and you talk to people and you had, you'd learn how to interview and, and, and all that stuff. So that was all valuable to me when I took it into this profession. And Mike, yeah. I could, I could, my belief is that the profession has suffered because it almost seems like we take 26, 27 year old kids, throw them right on pro beats, for example, that there's no step up like there was when, when you got started, I got started and all that where you, you went from high schools, you know, and not even like high school football right away. You ended up maybe sometimes doing stuff that was uncomfortable. And I think something's lost in maybe the toughness of questions and, and the way that you the, you kind of sharpen your skills. Do you think that? I, I totally agree with that, Kevin. I You know, like Mike Brosby, we're schlepping like muddy sidelines on Friday nights, <laughs> right? When we first came out. I think about that. We're charting every play and, you know, it, it's not a it's not a glamorous scene, and we're not making any money. At the time we started, I started uh, Montgomery newspapers. Like my first salary was twelve thousand dollars a year, and, and so like it, it, 
the thing you always thought was it's going to lead into something bigger and better in the field. So you, you were willing to put the time into it. And, you know, we put many, many years into it before we got a chance to get to a, to a big city paper. And you know, these kids don't have any concept of that anymore. And they, and they really don't realize that it makes you sharper as a journalist to start out low and to negotiate all those, those kind of uh, heavy waters and rough choppy waters that, to get to to where you should be, but then again, see the newspaper profession really has to hire guys like that. Like right. they really have no choice. Uh, the, the, they the don't. It's not like they can go through a, a big resume of people uh, who have been in the business for a long time. They these kids that are available, they have to take a chance with them because they're cheaper too. Yeah. I mean, that's- yeah, they're cheaper and they're willing to, to take the job and and. Um, you know, you uh, newspapers would love to be more selective. They just can't in this day and age. But you know, I did say the young kids that work in this city have done a pretty good job. I yeah. Think. Hey, Mike, and you had Raleigh Massimino to teach you the ropes <laughs> when you were coming up, <laughs> and I well, did too for a year. <laughs> well, see that—that's what uh, that training there made me deal with conflict. Yep. You know, like I deal with conflict every day now, right? But if I didn't have those days of battling with him or battling with other people and standing your ground against against people, like if you let a guy like that intimidate you, then you probably shouldn't be in the profession. So it was like you yeah. had to survive. It was like being thrown in the deep end dealing with that dude. <laughs> I had a few moments with him, but I think you had more. I had many more moments. And the reason why was because I was Italian. Yep. And, Absolutely. and he was an old school guy. And the first thing he said to me, like, I, I wrote something he didn't like. Uh, I think I called him irascible <laughs> in print. And uh, he called me on the phone and, and he said, you wrote something and you, you called me a bad word. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I, I didn't even know what the word was. I asked my wife what it was. <laughs> I said, you mean irascible? He says, yeah. Where do you get off calling me around? So, so that was like the first argument. And then he calls me into a meeting and he goes, listen, I, you know, I don't understand you. Everybody in this city's my boy. I got Dickie Weiss as my boy. I got Stan Hockman as my boy. How come you can't be my boy? You're an Italian kid. And so, like, at that point, I had, I had to lay down the law to him, and I said, uh, listen, man, here's the deal. Yeah, I might be, like, what you consider a new school journalist, but I'm going to write what I see, and I'm not going to get involved in, like, the, the ethnic connection that we have to give you better press. If you're going to get what I see, and if, and if you're not going to like that, then we're going to battle. And we battled. I mean, we battled for five five-year period. Mike, when, uh, when something like the pandemic happens, and there's no game plan for any of us who try to do – this you do it on a daily basis but the fact that you are more willing to go into areas where other sports talks hosts haven't gone over the years with, with racial justice comments or a, a conversation um you know how much does that help right now when you can't just stick the sports with everything going on in the world well I, it, for me it's been invaluable and it's actually been well, I, it's not refreshing. The subject's not refreshing, but the, the discussion part of it is refreshing to me. Since sometimes just straight sports conversations can get boring to me, and and, and I think also the 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 listeners. So I I think that 
what makes me different is I kind of have a deeper background than most sports talk hosts to be able to talk about it. Like I, I covered news for the Enquirer as well. I had several years there where I was covering news and, and I have a law degree. So I, I, I have that kind of background where I think I can talk about it. I think people, other people are, are kind of unsure of their, um, their uh, embracing of the subject. Like they, they don't, they don't know how to handle uh, tougher subjects or how to present it in, a, in an entertaining way. And, uh, I think I've managed to to do that, like just because of years of training that I'm able to do it. And, and I think that what I do is I, I try to foster discussion with people. And so, like, I'll I'll take I'll play a devil's advocate side just to get feedback from their side, so we can have a balanced argument. That's what I've always tried to do. And uh, you know, I I think I could do that pretty well. So I, I trust myself when it comes to this. It's an important topic. Now, for me to come on and ignore the pandemic and all of the social issues that are going on, I think would make me a fraud. You know, it, it's what people are talking about now. So uh, it, sports talk radio, I was always taught, I was taught by this guy named Tom Bigby that, yeah, it's sports talk, but it's also life talk. It's guy talk. And it's what people are talking about every day outside of what they're talking about, the Phillies or the Eagles. So I've tried to incorporate that into what I do sports talk radio wise my whole career. Mike, the pandemic aside and, and the social and what we're going through now aside, you've been doing this for three decades. How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it? How do you not let it get? Oh, man, I don't want to go in today. And we all go through that. I mean, there was times I'd be at a Villanova game like, what am I doing here? You know, but you you're on the air for four hours a day. Um, it's going to come through if you're not really into it. How do you keep refreshed? How do you keep your, your juices you know, going? It's, it's really a, a good question because I don't even know. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, there are days when I go, oh, man, I don't, you know, I don't feel like going in and talking about that. I think the older I've gotten, the less important sports issues have become to me. Yeah. So, like, when something different comes along, it kind of energizes me a little more. But there are days when I'll go in, and I really won't have a defined thing to talk about. I have a general area. And then I just start talking, and things come to my head. I, I, I don't know what it is. Like, one thing leads to another. One thought leads to another. And I'm able to, like, to start the show with some kind of a base, which is how I like to start the show. I do use those first 10 minutes as a base on – how I can get people to be interested in what I'm saying. So, and sometimes I don't know until I push that button. I swear to God, like, I don't like <laughs> there, there'll be days I go, okay, I kind of have an idea, whatever. Let me just start talking. And the more I start talking, the more it develops into a theme. Well, Mike, on those days, are, do you ever pleasantly surprise yourself or are there days when you get off at six and say, man, I didn't really have a good thing going today. I have those days. I don't have them a lot, but I do have it. Like I'll know when a show is better than another. Uh, I, I always try to like, I I've got somebody like, I, I've got a list of things that I just want to throw in as sides to keep people like there's the heaviness of the topic. And then you come back from a break and go, Hey, Hey, did you see where uh, uh, Melania uh, Trump's statue was burned down in Slovenia, you know? And so I'll get like two minutes out of that and then I'll zero back into the, into the topic we're talking about. So I'm always trying to bounce around and bring up modern culture issues or like odd things that have happened. And that's how I kind of balance it. Mike Missanelli joins us. Uh, Mike, you've done the TV end of it for a couple years now. Do you think it's changed the show? I I don't think it's changed the show at all. We we do the same thing. The only thing that's changed for me is that I look into the camera every now and then because I know it's on me 
and I have enough TV experience to know what a red light means. So right. it's like I'm, I'm playing to a crowd of people who are also watching me on TV. But it, it, I don't think it's changed my my emotions. Um, I still do this show the same way, and it's there's really nothing different about the production of the show except that there's a pod camera in front of me and there's one behind me. Uh, and, and, you know, one, the kind of things I have to realize is that during a the commercial, they're still watching, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm still, I'm still <laughs> whoever is producing the show and they're, and they're producing it remotely. And I, and I got into trouble recently because of that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, it's just, it, it's almost like you're not on TV. And if I didn't see that pod camera with the red light, cause I, I look, then I look at it and I go, okay, I have to, I have to look at whoever's watching me on the screen. So I look into the camera and say the same point that I would say if it wasn't on TV. But but it's almost a Truman Show esque thing that you know you mentioned about the camera always catches everything, and it, yeah. that that does make it really difficult. I would imagine, right? It does. But see, I, like doing a commercial, I do nothing anyway. I just sit there and kind of mope. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I really don't have any emotions beyond that, or I'll get up and go to the bathroom, or you know, you know sometimes, it's funny because sometimes we get food delivered, so I'll try to wolf down a hoagie during a break, and I'm sure that looks really, really nice to the producer. <laughs> Mike, I, I've been, I try to listen as much as possible. You know, you're driving around. What is your? I, I seem to get the sense that your take on the sports coming back. You're a cautious guy, it seems. I'm taking the stance of, like, I really think we're kind of rushing things. I know why we're rushing things. I get it. But is that kind of your take on this, that, that maybe we need to hit the brakes a little bit? or Yeah. Is it it, an, it, it's a, Listen, I would have been okay with them having no sports. I do realize the value of can talking to people every day how important it is for them to get some kind of entertainment in their home and and how it picks up their spirits. And I, I get that part of it. But now – you know, we haven't given enough thought to, to and I know we have a, a lack of sensitivity to professional athletes because they make so much more money than we do, that, that we don't even think they're human sometimes, that they're robotic. So now they become these mercenaries who have to go out in, in the face of a pandemic and entertain for us. There's something that really bothers me about that. And, yeah. uh, you know, the NBA, I think, has tried to button it down as, as much as possible. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to work. Um, the, the NFL s- seems to be like a joke. Uh, you know, they, they have no sensitivity to anything. They just keep plunging along like things are going to be okay, go back to normal. They don't have a, a set protocol. Apparently it's going to come out this week. But uh, – and these players are saying, well, how about us, man? We're, we're out there in, in the face of this pandemic, and, and you don't seem to be concerned about it. And now the NFL wants them to put 35% of their salaries in escrow. And it's like that league is just – for as much money as they make, they, they are like a heartless capitalistic <laughs> entity. You know, they, they just, yeah, we, you're our employees, go out and perform. And uh, that, that bugs me a little bit. Yeah. I'm wondering, Mike, like what would happen, and Kevin and I have talked about this. Let's say, I'll just throw out a name, Terry Francona, I don't know, mm-hmm. gets sick and gets really sick. You know, maybe he's got to go on a ventilator, maybe whatever. At that point, like at what point do we as Americans stop and say, whoa, you know, we can't sacrifice Freddie Freeman or Bryce Harper or any of these people so that we can watch games. And and nobody's come out and said to me, well, if the Phillies have 10 people sick, they're not going to play. And if they don't play, they're going to forfeit or whatever. So I'm kind of confused, and it just makes me feel kind of like I'm selfish as, as a person who wants to watch no, a game. 
you're you're not selfish. You know what's going to happen when when a lot of guys get there. Two things are going to happen here. One, a lot of guys get sick, and they will have to cancel. Like they'll have to pull out because at that point, that's that's barbaric. And that'll be uh, worse than not restarting. It, it, yeah, probably. But they, I think they're hell bent to try it to see where it goes. Like, trying it is better than not trying it in their minds and maybe yeah. in the minds of people. But it, it's either that a lot of people uh, get sick and they go, okay, the numbers are too high, we have to cancel, or star players get sick. Like in the NBA, you think the NBA, if if, if LeBron and Kawhi come down uh, with, with positive tests, you, do you think that would influence whether they continue with that bubble? But at that yeah. point, you know, the NBA is all about promoting their star players, marketing their star players, marketing the championship teams. If, if they don't have that, they don't have anything. So what's the sense of carrying it on? And that's, yeah. and that's you know, the NBA is one, though, that listens to its stars. You look at what Major League Baseball is doing, and, and you're right about the NFL, and that's a whole different, mm-hmm. you know, Roger Goodell is just like, every comic book villain from every movie, you know, of, of mm-hmm. like the, 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 the money grubbing guy. But yeah. if you look at baseball, the fact that you have Mike Trout, who's openly saying, I'm not sure if I'm going to play. You have Buster Posey, who's missed three straight days of practice for the giants. You have, you know, you have Zach Wheeler and all these guys who are basically in the bubble and saying, I don't know. And the testing stuff, the testing protocols breaking down on them already. I don't know how baseball thinks they're going to get close to finishing this season. Well, there are a lot of numbers, a lot more numbers in baseball, and there's interchangeable parts. But that's what I'm saying. If the stars get affected, the interchangeable parts don't matter. Like that, they can they can weather the storm. Three, four guys on their team go out, but if if it's six guys and one of them's Bryce Harper, then that's a different perspective completely. So that, that's what they're going to have to examine because really that's what people are invested in. And, I mean, all due respect, they, they, they don't want to see the 25th man on a team be a, be a big focus. You can no. still play, right, yeah. Mike? You, you can yeah. go out there and <laughs> throw an inning or something, right? I, I know. <laughs> I, I, start, I actually kept playing into my 50s. I know, and uh, and that's when I got the back surgery problem, and I had to have back surgery. So I'm I'm completely done with baseball. It's over for me. <laughs> Mike, when when Rudy Gobert tested positive, did you think four months later we'd be where we were, or because I kind of did. I mean, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I didn't think it was going to go away because the summer came, or because the president told me it was going to. But did you think it would be? to here, and maybe we're looking at a lot longer before we're back to so-called quote-unquote normal? Yeah, at first, obviously, you don't know what it's about. And then the more you, you listen to people talk about it and you, you see the science that, that is applied to it, yeah, I didn't think that we were going to be able – because we weren't going to have a vaccine until 2021. So I go, okay, well, then there's probably not going to be a sports for the rest of the year. And I, and I go – and I didn't think about how it was going to affect my – my profession, you know, but I was thinking as a human being, like, yeah, it is, it's very possible we cannot have sports. And now this, this college thing is just out of control. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different situation, you know, with colleges. It, those kids have more of a gun to their head than uh, pro players because even if you make a minimum salary, you still got some money tucked away. These guys need to play to get where they want to go. And besides that, the revenue in these in these money producing sports like football, college football, Division One, sustains university. So that's more of a problematic thing for me than than the actual pro part of it. Is the pro part is like it's candy store for us. 
you know, the college part, I think it has more substance to it as far as what, what it does for universities. The, the Big Ten announced, obviously, yesterday it's only going to a conference schedule. The Ivy is already shut down. Pac-12 may follow the Big Ten today, at least at the moment, you know, and, and it's out. The Big Ten commissioner openly saying there's a good, yeah, you know, there's a chance of no sports in the fall at all. Um, could you actually see, though, you, you knowing how college athletics works and knowing the almighty dollar is just as important to them as anybody else, could do you see them turning away the football dollars completely, or will they try to to find a way to make it work? I I, I can't. Uh, when we're talking about education and presidents that are, are have the best interest in their universities in mind, uh, they have to be more vigilant about this whole thing. And uh, you know, it's little steps at a time. All right, so step one is we're only going to play a Big Ten schedule and we're only going to play Pac-12 is thinking about doing the same thing. And the other thing is if we have too many guys that get sick, we're, now we're dealing with kids, and the public perception of that is horrendous. And if we're not going to have kids on campus to, to, to study, then how could we possibly put these kids out there? It, it's just it would be a, a bad form for, for colleges to, keep, to force sports. Now, the Ivy League was an easy decision. They're not revenue-producing. So they, they can make a decision like that. It's a little harder for colleges, but they, they can't just put, put kids' lives at risk. They, they just can't do that. Yeah, and the biggest problem in colleges is, unlike the pros, you don't have a commissioner. There's not yeah. one guy making a decision. You have all these different entities making decisions. Um, I think that's a big problem, too, because I can see the SEC – kind of sitting there like the NFL saying, whoa, we're playing. You know, we yeah. need Alabama. All well, the NCAA presidents can, can bond together and and, yeah, uh, and, and and get the, you know, get quick legislation in there and, and make edicts to, to stop fall sports. They could do that pretty easily, I think. Mike, uh, you've talked about the Sean Jackson's situation the last couple of days. And, and forgive me if I'm misquoting you, but you have said that, his situation is different from Riley Cooper because the player is different. The player is way more important to this group than Riley Cooper was, and that has to be a factor in all of this, unfortunately. What do you think? Yeah, I, I personally don't feel that way. I think the Eagles have to feel, feel that, that way. way. Right. Now, um, me, I have no tolerance for intolerance. So when the thing happened with Riley Cooper, I immediately said he should have been cut. My immediate reaction when to Deshaun Jackson, he should be cut. Now you have to go a different level and go, okay, they this decision is not being made through my eyes. It's made, being made through a business eye. And, and the business part of it is that he's a more important player than, than Riley Cooper. And, uh, and if they cut him or suspend him while they didn't do it to Riley Cooper with the same ownership, in this climate, they're going to face a lot of black backlash from black America. So um, th- there are many factors that have to go into what the Eagles are going to uh, do about this, and that's why I think that they haven't announced an immediate suspension. I think they're trying to wriggle out of this going the education way, which nobody can argue with. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to rehabilitate a guy who has these bad views, that's always the good result. So I think they can kind of get away with that, except mm-hmm. for the fact that Jeffrey Lurie has he, he has to answer the Jewish people as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so like he's got to take the pulse of how Jewish people feel about that this. And, and if he comes off that he, he lets him off the hook, then he's got to face that kind of backlash. So it's not as easy a decision as it would be for me. Like the Sean Jackson, 
if it's if you Deshaun Jackson is a thirty year old player, he's an important player. He's not the star player on no. the team. He's but he's so, regressed and he's regressing. Slides right. like Bradley Cooper to me, a, a totally expendable guy. Get rid of him. And then, it, but if it's Carson Wentz, you go. Can I actually cut Carson Wentz? And no, as a businessman, you can't. So where does where does Deshaun Jackson fall in that line? He was a major part of what they thought they needed to be a good team. So if you cut off that, your nose, you're spiting your face of your fan base because they also expect a good team. So there's like a hundred factors in there they had to consider. How much? Okay, okay Mike, hold on. No, for go a ahead. No, go, Kev. It's good. When okay. you when you think about it, though, the fact that that this ownership now, you know, we, we have Jeffrey Lurie, who's announced that you know, he has a uh, documentary coming out about Hitler coming uh, mm-hmm. coming out soon. The ownership, though, has to walk that line because, and let's be honest, Riley Cooper's a white guy. Deshaun Jackson's a black guy. The environment has changed so much from the time Riley Cooper was an idiot and a Kenny Chesney concert, but you can't go overboard on, on Jackson either. You know, if Jackson shows a, a little bit of regret for this, he makes the Eagles' job a lot easier. Doesn't yeah. It? The, the, the Riley Cooper thing wasn't that long ago, though, which is interesting to me because we go, okay, the climate's different now. It, sh- it should have been different then. It should have been. But that's another story, another discussion. So now yeah, you're right. In the heat of what's going on now, it, it's uh, you can say – well, listen, the, the, it's intensified so much. Our political correctness sensibilities have intensified so much that uh, even though it may be unfair that we didn't suspend Riley Cooper, we have to suspend Deshaun Jackson. But you're still going to get black backlash from black America. You're going to go, oh, okay, it was easy for you to suspend the black guy. Mm-hmm. And that's something they have to deal with as, as a corporation. Uh, you know, they had to deal with the same thing with Michael Vick to an extent, but but Michael Vick kind of had an out because he had served time. Right. Uh, and so, you know, they could say, well, this is part of rehabilitation. He served his time. And he, he did his punishment. If, if they don't punish Deshaun Jackson, they're in a no-win situation, whatever they do. So I think that they're going to try to take the easier road with the education part of it, which I don't think anybody could argue with. Mike uh, Kern. So, so if that happens, if nothing happens – We'll just move on from that, and it'll be as if nothing happened. And you know, I, I just—I know they have the Riley Cooper thing that, that you know that, that kind of affects it, but it just seems to me like if the situations were reversed and a Jewish person had said something about black people, it wouldn't get swept under. I don't know. Maybe I'm no. No, you're right about that. But see, but black people are in, are in a struggle. Right. And as white people, you know, I know that uh, the, the Jews have faced tremendous discrimination throughout history, but this is a current Black sure. Lives Matter, uh, right. uh, the heat of an issue. It's never been as high and as heightened as it is now. So it, it's it's a little more of a, a, a sensitive time. Yeah. Mike, how excited are you? I know you're a hoops guy. I guess you're a four for four guy. NBA could be starting. I hate soon. that term, by I, the I way. But go ahead. More focused. How excited are you, despite all the things we've talked about, to actually have games to watch and talk about and maybe root for and, and that kind of thing? Well, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see – like, I'm watching this, uh, the basketball tournament, right? <laughs> and I'm fascinated by it. But, like, I'm fascinated by it because it's it's a bunch of guys that are playing for their lives and play for some money and, and – right. You know, the NBA, I don't know how I'm going to take the NBA with no fans. And I don't know, 
like I'd like to think that the intensity once you get on a basketball floor, because I know basketball players once they take a basketball floor, even if it's a pickup game, they want to win. So uh, I, I hope that we have that kind of ball with professional players that will we'll have that competitiveness because a large part of what they do is fueled by a crowd. So it's going to be very unnatural to, to watch. It's like an inter-squad scrimmage where right. you wandered into the gym and, and you're catching them playing. So I don't know how it's going to go. Now, as far as the Sixers go, there's this notion that somehow, and I don't know how it happened, but in the pandemic where they haven't played, they've actually gotten really good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the, the head you know, coach. The, the perception is that they're the only team now that's going to be vi- they're they're going to be the most viable team when they come back to win the East. And I go, okay, well, yeah, I don't I don't know what happened in the lab in four months, but maybe. So um, it's going to be interesting to see whether they they could be that kind of team. I I personally do not think they they are, but maybe they can be. And if they win something, you know how we are as fans. I don't care about the asterisk part of it. If they're if they're gonna vie for a championship and they can win the East and play for an NBA title, it's still gonna be exciting for people. Does yeah. Brett Brown's job ride on what happens in Orlando? Uh most death. Um <laughs> here's the only thing the only chance I think they have. And and this is like the opposite of what most people think, which is normally what I do anyway. Uh, I think they have to stay in the sixth seed. I think they have to desperately lose that first game to Indiana. Mm-hmm. And they were Indiana get, gets the tie break. So the Sixers stay in the sixth seed. The only way they have a chance to win the East is to get on a roll. The only way they have to get on a roll is to have success in playing together over an extended period of time. Eight games is not going to be enough. They need eight games and two successful series. So they need to beat Boston in the first round, beat Toronto in the second round, and then be ready for Milwaukee. If they have any chance to beat Milwaukee, it would have to be based on the success of two other series. Yeah, because I don't think they beat Miami. I, I honestly think that's a awful matchup for them. Going yeah, forward. it might not be a good matchup. But, you know, I, I just, Butler, I'm looking at the other way. Like, what's what's the maximum thing that they can do to win something? Right. And I think the maximum thing is that they have to have two series of success under their belt because that will have taught me they figured out something on how to play together. Mike Missanelli. What what, oh, go ahead, Kev. No, I was going to say Mike Missanelli joins us. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, what, what's your thoughts on the Flyboys? who were like the hottest team in the league or one of them when this all stopped. I have no idea what to think about that team. But my experience is that a team that was on a roll and overachieving when they stopped that, it's hard to get it back. They're not a pedigree team. They, they kind of surprised everybody and they, and they, they, they built uh, into a cohesive unit. Uh, and uh, I think that had to continue to stop that role. I don't know how sharp they're going to be coming back. The Sixers, are, conversely, the Sixers underachieved. So they have uh, an incentive to, to change things up. The Flyers are kind of in no man's land. I, I don't know if they can rack up the same intensity that they ended the, the season with there. Before we let you go, there's a couple of people I want to ask you about, people who mm-hmm. you worked with in your career. One okay. is Steve Fredericks. You're just the immediate. He was the best. You know, Steve and I, uh, when I started working with Steve, like, I, I was I was scared to death. I, I had done some weekend stuff. I, uh, I did some stuff with Stan Hockman, actually, on weekends at a regular gig. And then when they offered me this job out of the blue, uh, and they said, we were going to pair you Steve Fredericks, I couldn't stand Steve. 
like listening to him <laughs> at Sports Talk Radio. And I didn't really know what kind of guy he was. And just I, I just knew that like he was really arrogant about his opinions. And I'm going, well, that's kind of what I am. So how's this going to work? But uh, I, I got there and I he was the best ever. He 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 learned like really early that he was at a stage of his career where he could facilitate me. And I always appreciate that with him. And he was like one of the smartest guys I've ever known. He knew everything about everything. Now he had lived like nine lives. So uh, he had been through so many things and so many experiences. And I, I just used to, he would tell me stories during the break that would make my hair raise about <laughs> his experience in the business and his problems with, uh, you know, substance abuse and, and, and all that. And I, I really got to admire him. I love him dearly. Stephen A. Smith. Stephen was fine. I love people say, well, how can you work with Stephen A? Um, Stephen was always the guy that I like when he was here. And, uh, I, you know, I, I knew what his character was all about. And I, I, it was fine by me. It was just that he, he approached things in a, in a very different way. But when we did the show together, it was funny because uh, I was still commuting. And, and I was commuting to New York. And I, I knew I had, a, like, a subordinate role with him because he was – Stephen right. A. Smith, he was the show. So um, it, it learned, it, it made me kind of learn a little bit of humility. I, w- I would literally take the train ride up. The station was right at Penn Station. I'd go up the escalator, get in the show. I'd say like 10 words in three hours and get back on the train. And then we're like paying me to ride the train to New York every day. That's the way I looked at it. But he was great. Sometimes I would come in, and I would come in from Philly all the way to New York, and Stephen wouldn't be there. I go, where's Stephen? Oh, well, he's in Milwaukee. He decided to, he wanted to see the Milwaukee Bucks last night, so we're, we're getting him a station in Milwaukee to broadcast from him. He never knew where he was <laughs> at all times. But uh, he was fun to work with. I liked him. Angelo, and, you know, he's still a friend. We he, right. we have him on the show right now and then. Angelo Cataldi, because working with the great. I, res- I respect Angelo uh, immensely. You know, it's not easy to do a morning show for that long. Believe me, I did a morning show at WMMR, and it wrung me out. Now, his I guess his character is is a little more suited for a morning show because he's he's a type of guy that can go to bed at seven and a half p.m. and get ready to do a, a morning show. But for him to carry it on that long. Uh, we had our battles when we were at WIP, like egotistical battles, like anything else. But uh, I, I, we're not friendly, but I respect them a lot. Ty and that. They're the best. I mean, um, I, Tyrell was my producer way back in the day. And uh, uh, when they changed over uh, the show and Jason Martinez was my producer and they decided that they were going to pair him with with harry mays and uh I, they asked me who who i wanted as a producer and i remember tyrone I, he was smart i i think he got me and uh you know nat adds a, a dynamic to it so um i, I think we put together the the right pair Ty, ty's been a really good uh producer for me he's he's hard working but he knows everything about everything and uh you can bounce anything off him and not not feel that he's going to be lost on anything and uh, so that, that that dynamic has worked for us pretty well, I think. Mike, final question, Kern. I, I got I got two things, Mike. Yes, one sir. is if you do, you asked me about Eskin. Cooney was dying to ask me about Eskin. Well, there there right? was two other guys. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. There were two other guys I was going to ask you about, but uh, okay. I, I want to be. Go ahead. I want, go ahead. All right, go to Kern first, and then come back. No, 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 Eskin. Uh, Let's yeah. do Eskin. Oh, you're going to ask me about Eskin. No, whoever no. the other one was, and then I'll get to, to mine. Oh, Eskin. Okay. Uh, well, come on. It, it was the most miserable three years of my life. 
really. You know, people say, well, like, you know, I've worked with people I didn't like before. And I go, yeah, but you weren't right next to them. You know, you weren't right next to them trying to do a show with them for four hours. He had no concept of, of a team, like, like how, how, to, how to actually put together a show with somebody else. And it was just frustrating every day. Yeah, who, I, oh, who's you, the other you, one? No, 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 no. I, uh, th- this kind of ties. <laughs> you, you've had battles with Eskin. You had battles with uh, Josh Ennis, who was a competitor against you. How much of that is real life battle, and how much of that is shtick for? Well, the, the, I'm, it's never shtick with me. No, but how much do you think from that? How much from <laughs> like, them? How much that, from that, that? thing was like he when he got he got personal and uh, listen. I knew he was desperate to try to chop into me uh, ratings wise, but he he crossed the line and he crossed the line. I, you know. I, I almost jacked him up one day at Eagles practice. <laughs> uh, no, you would, no, you wouldn't I, do it, that. You wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, when you go personal, it's like you know, frivolously personal and uh, it, it, and think you get away with it because you're hiding high, behind a microphone. I don't respect that at all. So that that was my beef with that dude. Okay. Mike, yeah. turn. Sorry. Uh, to th- to the, Mike, if you do the Field of 64 at Christmas for best Christmas song, you have to make executive decisions so that Donnie Hathaway's this Christmas wins because it's the thing. best. The well, I thing. know you, you like does, Donnie Hathaway. That, 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 that song does very well when we do that. Yeah. I know, but it's got to be it the best. It, it's not going to beat the Christmas song, it's man. That's not roasting on an open fire. Come on. <laughs> it's not going to beat Mariah Carey. I lo- nah, yeah, but, not- yeah, but Donnie, that's a good song. Uh, Come on, Chestnuts. Oh, my chestnuts. goodness. The other one is. How is Strathmere doing? Uh, it's good. It's uh, it, it's uh, I, I've been there like a few weekends. It's uh, it's always good. It's always like um, a different shore for me where yeah. I can kind of you know seclude a little bit. I don't even go into Sea Isle or Ocean City. You know, no. I, I don't I'm, I don't make a left turn or or, or I can <laughs> when I go down there. It's just a veg. And, do, uh, do, you, do you show up at the Deauville Inn or? or I haven't been in. I have not been in yet. They redid it, the the Deauville Inn. Yeah, they, I heard you know, have, Yeah, I haven't been in. People say um, it looks really nice, uh, but Uncle Bill's Pancake House is no longer Uncle Bill's Pancake House. Yeah. No. Yeah, the, no. The, the, it's the Doville uh, Breakfast Bar or whatever it's called. Oh. The, Do, the Doville took that pl- that place over too. That's a gold mine. Yeah, I, I, I was a big Uncle Bill's fan. I haven't been in uh, the new places yet. Mike, uh, how much longer do you want to do this? I asked this at Cataldi, so I I want I have to be fair and ask you. Um, I you know I don't know. Um, I, I, <laughs> I I'm thinking like I'm thinking like right now I would like to do something else. If another opportunity came along, like if I'm looking uh, like to go into a, like a legal aid type of situation. I, if something like that presented itself, I, I would, I would go into that. I'm also thinking of buying a winery. Like I have all these crazy ideas, but I haven't put them into, into play yet because I keep doing this. I think the, the, I, I would have to stop doing this to explore the other things I want to devote full attention to it because it takes a lot to devote full attention to what I'm doing now. So I would just say this a little longer. And Mike, I don't know that, would, whether that means a couple more months or one more year. Where would the I, I would not? I would think not, not beyond one more year. I probably not. Where would the winery be? Would it be around here or somewhere like? A um, couple options. It could be around here. It could be in um, a wine country in Virginia. 
Uh, It's something I've always wanted to do. So like I'll, I'll, that would be like the place where I would like just use up my money in a slow drain. Cause you can't, you, you can't make any money doing it, but it, I, I, I'm interested of, of the lifestyle and living like the last few years of my life in a nice country lifestyle. Well, if, if you do it around here, could I work for you? Could absolutely you a, a job? I mean, well, I'm, but, I need wanna, something to do. You want to go in the fields? You want to uh, go in the vines? What pick the pick the blueberries and stuff? <laughs> no, it would be great grapes, not grapes. Blueberries. blueberries. Well, you can make no. blueberry wine. I'm not know. making blueberry wine, Holmes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can pick some grapes. Yeah, gotta, yeah, we got to. Yeah, we will go out. We, we trim the vines. You know, you you could teach me the business. Very delicate work. All right, okay. I, 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 I can tell. I can tell. Kern is not a wine drinker because he's picking blueberries as opposed to grapes. So, Mike Missanelli, thank you for joining us, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank man. you guys. Good to see Mike, you. Guys. Nice to hey, see stay you. Stay good, man. Yeah, right. be good. Appreciate Thanks, Mike. And we'll be back on working the beat right after these messages. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week. The Working to Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Working to Be podcast. Join us at 267 546 7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. Our thanks to Mike Missanelli for joining us. Picking blueberries for wine, Mike? I mean, there, come on. There, there is a Kevin. Hey, Kevin, step back a second. Okay. There, there's wineries in Jersey that do blueberry wine, do um, like all kind of those fruits, and people buy them. I know Mike doesn't want to make blueberry wine, uh, but it, instead of saying grapes, I said blueberry. Okay. It, it's very popular Okay, down there. Strawberry wine. I'm not a wine um, drinker, so. I'm not a wine person either. I'm just saying is that they do have fruit <sighs> wines, you know, for people who aren't connoisseurs. Um, the, uh, I got to tell you something. You know, Mike, Mike's a, you know, you talk about Philadelphia icons. You know, you've, you've talked about this before. He's got to be on that list, too. Um, you do 30 years in a business like he has. Mike has rough edges. We all know that. But he's a fascinating dude. Um, and what he told us about, you know, maybe wanting to do something with his life, something else, and maybe work as a law guy, you know, working for people. I mean, that to me is fascinating. And he's basically the same age as me. I think Mike's like a year older than me, something like that. That he would want to do that is just um, – you know, you know, I, I sit around and do nothing. You know, I'm just I've come to the conclusion that, that you know this is how I'm probably going to lead my life, um, right for betters insider and hope that that works and uh, what have you. But it's really interesting to see that he has other ideas on the horizon. Yeah, he does. And um, you know, look, Mike is. I know there's some people who 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 hate uh, who I, hates a strong word, but don't care necessarily for Mike's opinions on, on various topics, but Mike is about as smart a guy as there is. And Mike's informed. Mike Mike Mm -hmm. is not the type who goes into a show uninformed about what he's talking about. Yeah. And And and, Kevin, you know enough about this business, uh right? When, when you can't have everybody like you, no, 
Uh, I mean, now I'll throw out like Jody Mack. I think most people like Jody Mack. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I do. I know. But you take a Mike, you take an Angelo, um, even um, Cuz, uh, Steve Fredericks. You, you list the people. Glenn Mack now. I mean, Ray D's a guy everybody likes. There's always going to be some people ain't going to like you. Yeah. Uh, that's just the way it goes. So, you know, and uh, I think you're right. I think Mike is, is very um, – knowledgeable and informed and i actually like a lot of his opinions i, yeah. I do i i don't mind yeah. i don't have any problems with his opinions i that's what the show is the show is designed for yeah. his opinions and yeah so let's get to a few of our own opinions here um let's start with the big tens announcement on and we'll talk to dave jones about this on tuesday uh the big the big 10 announcing they're going to go all conference games uh in every fall sport uh, is this the first sign down the road that we're not going to have college football in some form in the fall? It, 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 it's Kevin. It's it's we may have college football in some form. I don't know this. I don't know because we have different leagues. It's hard for me to see the SEC not at least trying. Maybe the ACC too because of Clemson mostly, but it just seems to me like you're you're um. You're, you're fighting at windmill, and that might be the wrong way. It, it, there's so much working against you mm-hmm. that to try to do it, you're doing it for one reason. Because there's a lot of money on the table, and I get that. But you're also, it's not pros now. You're dealing with college kids. And if you can't have students on campus, why would you have football on campus? Why would you play in front of empty stadiums? Why would you then bring in fans like they've been talking? It wasn't Iowa a couple of weeks ago talking about having fans. Now they're, they're lucky if they even have football. Yeah. Um, and this will affect basketball. It will affect the start of that, uh, which is the second biggest money-making sport in, in the NCAA. I don't know where this is going to go. I, I just know that we're sitting here in, in mid-July, and we're seeing all these things that are wrong. Yet we're going to play football in September. I, I mean, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I, I have a hard time. Maybe we should just solve, try to solve the pandemic problem and get ourselves in a better position there before we start to try to do things. But that's not the way America works. And I think the one thing when you look at this is they, you know, this idea that you could play conference games and somehow going to be safer. It is it, it, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, they're doing conference games. I know to give them themselves schedule flexibility. That's not they're not silly enough to think that okay, you can get coronavirus in non uh, in non conference games, but non conference games. But it, it, it's a matter of like you've taken this first step, and you've taken this first step on July ninth, uh, which is what it was. To me. You still got three weeks before you probably have to determine what you're going to do with the whole season before you bring everybody back on campus. And there's, and you're, you know, we've talked about this so much in a political issue, and it is. I mean, the political issue is you've got a president who is pushing to reopen everything right now. And it's just, it's not the right time. I don't see why people can't see it's not the right time. I just don't. You can reopen, Kevin. If, let's say we have to reopen at some point because the problems with not reopening create other problems. But there's people not having money. 
people not being able, whatever, whatever those problems are. But if you're not going to do it the right way, there has to be plans. Right. And, and I, I understand all these, all these conferences are having plans in place. Okay. But like, you're going to say, let's open the schools. Okay. Well, have a, what's the plan, right? We're going to open restaurants. What's the plan? And if people aren't going to wear masks or aren't going to social distance, the plans go poof. Well, in football, you have 22 people hitting each other on every play. Sweating. Yeah, you know, the NFL came up with this thing. You're not going to be able to exchange jerseys. And like the one guy said, so I can hit a guy for 60 minutes and sweat on him, but then I can't breathe take on his jersey? Him. Yeah, and breathe like, on him. <laughs> but but these are the things that, we, that, you know, it's just, it seems absurd. But yet, as part of American life, we want some of these things back as quickly as we can get them back. And in a perfect world, if nobody was broke, if nobody was anything, you would just say, hey, we're just going to shut this down till we get a vaccine or, and, and, and then we'll put, that's not going to happen. So I, this is why I fear that we're going to have things open. And as we're seeing now with restaurants and things in certain, and then closing again, yeah. you know, so you told the people in Texas, yeah, go ahead. It's okay. Florida. It's okay. South Carolina. And now you're saying, Oh, well, I, you know, well, then people look at you like now they really look at you with frustration and, and angst. And, and that kind of thing. So I, I, I don't know. And then Mike made a good point, though. You know, a lot of these football players and basketball players, they want to play because they're trying to make the NFL. Sometimes, And if it, you're a senior this year, um, you know, what do you do? Yeah. I, I, I don't some, have that but sometimes, either. But sometimes you got to save people from themselves. And Yes. Uh, but if you're a 20-year-old kid who doesn't think he's going t- to get – or even if he gets I get test it. positive. He might sit there and say, you know what? I'm not going to get sick. I, I don't have any aunts and uncles. I'm not going to see my parents. I won't give it to them. I don't know what these people think. If you're looking at a, a being drafted in the first round and making millions and millions of dollars and setting yourself up for life and your family up for life, maybe you're willing to take that risk. I I, I don't know. I um, To me, it's... It's you know it's funny because we've been mentioning I've been talking to a couple of people about uh, high school football you know just how it's going to get started and whether it's going to get started and I was talking to an executive or a administrator I know and he, his comment was you don't think about the, all the logistics that have to go into it until you have to yep. start planning it so yep. for example to take a football team of sixty how many buses you going to need. Because you can't sit them two, three in a row anymore like you would. You need to have four, five, six buses. And then you're talking bands. And then you're talking cheerleaders and all that. And he goes, and if you're not going to have a quality experience for the student athlete, then what's the point? That's what it comes down to, Kevin. I mean, that that's you, you summed it up there. And, you know, if you're going to have a college football game and not have fans – What's but the like, point? Like, if, if I was saying to you, you don't need the cheerleaders, you don't need the band to play a football game. That that's me. Now, if that turns into a glorified scrimmage, because we need North Penn to play, uh, you know, LaSalle, because it's so important to us. I, I, you know, we're talking about in schools. How are we even going to go back to schools? Yeah. You know? But think about a locker room. You bring this up all the time. How many locker rooms do you need to have a high school football game? A lot. You need three. I, I mean, I'm just saying. I don't know. If but you're you gonna know the way locker rooms are now, if you're, gonna, yeah, you know, 
doesn't, I mean, we, we, seriously, when the NFL even starts playing or college football or whatever you're talking about, those lockers aren't going to be good enough, are they? No. No, because think about it, okay? Like, and we know the layout of the link because we've been there a ton. Okay, you have the Eagles and you have the Temple locker room, which are close to each other. That if the Eagles really needed to get extra room for players, they could do that. Where are you putting the visitors? Visitors have a, 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 a uh, tight locker room down in, in the north in the southwest corner uh, of the build or southeast yeah. corner of the building. There, there's no room to move there. None. Every locker room that's ever been designed, whether it's the Phillies, the Sixers, the Eagles. The Flyers uh, is is not designed to have six feet of space no. between people. It just isn't. That's that's just the reality of the situation because there was no need to. Right. Um, it's you know they're crowded, they're cramped. Um, now the media won't be there, so that will alleviate that problem. I, I just think it's exactly what you just said a couple minutes ago. That administration. Well, There's so many things we don't think about. And that administ- doing this. And the other point the administrator made is just imagine what regular school is going to look like, how chaotic yep. it's going to be when we walk in yep. the doors in August and September. And right. you're going to try to play football on top of that or sports on top of that. That's where well, the issue gets really, really dicey. Um, it, it, it's beyond dicey. Yeah. But and and then let's say you're North Penn. I, I'm st- I'm sorry to keep using them. That's just the name that pops. I know. Oh, by the way, North Penn you're, doesn't have a home field this year, so that's a whole different story. Oh, their home field's being Redone. renovated. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the Shamney then. Well, what, what, yeah. throw out whatever school you want. What happens when kids start get testing positive? Positive. And how are you going to do the testing? Have you seen the the scenes from Arizona? Yeah. Where people are lining up for eight hours. Yeah. To get testing. When the president is telling people we should have less testing because it's helping the Democrats. No. Really? No. So now we're going to have high school football players getting tested on a regular basis, and you're going to need to know those results quickly. You can't be waiting five days for a result. And then what happens if a team all of a sudden has 10 kids test positive? And, oh, by the way, they're going home to their families? Yeah, it's not good. I, it, 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 it's, but yet we, as America want to we because we need to and I, look, I get it but if you tell me right now this minute i'm going to be in this situation for another nine months until okay i don't like it i hate it but i might have to accept it but there are people that won't you know <sighs> yeah yeah uh, anyway uh i'm trying to think uh, the sixers have arrived in the bubble to to move on to another topic. Um, what do you think of Joel's outfit? I was actually going to say that. I, it was interesting. He he was on Instagram last night too, complaining about the f- the food and the portions and everything that they're giving them down there. And that has been a complaint, actually, among NBA players that the the I think they were expecting the Ritz Carlton. And it's Disney World. It's Disney World, and they're still wrestling with that. So this is going to be a interesting. So, so you're trying to tell me Joel is hungry and can't get enough food? He said he would lose 50 pounds by the end of this. See, that seems to me. I don't know. Look, I don't know what what they're cooking, how they're cooking. You know, if they're giving them Mickey Mouse bars, I have no idea. But it would seem to me that you should be able to have as much food as you want. You're the NBA. You're you're, you're there. You know, LeBron wants a second helping of hamburgers. Give it to him. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't get that, that part of it. <laughs> I think you know? I think these guys are just used to certain things in hotels where they go and they look, yeah. we've been to Disney. It's it's nice. For most people it would be awesome. But don't you think the NBA should have thought of that, Kevin? I um, mean, it made some kind of provision and said, you know, we're bringing uh, you thousand ba- or I don't know, what it was, 300 basketball players here, and they're going to want to eat this way. Right. Uh, we got to let the chefs know. And, and I mean, they're already spending $100 million or whatever the hell it is. Spend another $10 million or whatever it takes. The last thing you want is players complaining. Because as soon as they start complaining, that that's when things can just start breaking down. And there's, it, it, you know, and that's one little where complaint I was going. leads to another complaint. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where I was going. Uh, this is the, you can see the complaint train pulling out of the station, and that's not good. All twenty two are there right now. the The Lakers were the last team to arrive. They arrived uh, after midnight last night in Orlando, so they'll go through their two days of quarantine testing back on the court. Hopefully, I guess by Sunday uh, for the Sixers, and then um, we'll be set to go in about a week. And hopefully, hopefully, um, I, you know. And and finally, I want to bring up the Phillies. We're going to have Mac Breen. Uh, I'm sorry, Mac Gelbon next Thursday um, from the Athletic. JT Real Muto talks yesterday and says he pretty much doesn't want to talk about the contract right now. That made the situation sound like it's not good. Uh, on the contract front. He's fine with the club, but it's not good on the contract front. I think people have to realize that this is going to be this way probably until he, he's going to get the free agency. That there's not... This is not the economic environment that the Phillies are going to have to have leverage in trying to get a new contract with him before he gets there. That's my opinion. Well, all the whole free agency thing is going to be thrown for a little bit of a loop. Mm-hmm. Because you know you'll be coming off a sixty-game season, uh, you know where owners made less money, uh, where you know, and he wants that twenty-five million dollar contract or whatever it is, and he is thirty, what thirty-one? He'll be is thirty. He, is he okay? So you know, at the end of that contract for a catcher, you know, it might not. But again, he's maybe the best catcher in baseball. You traded one of your best prospects or to get him. Um, it. it, it it almost seems like the Phillies are in a no-win situation here because if they try to play hardball, so to speak, um, and say, hey, we can't give you 25, you know, the, the best we can do is 18 or 20 or whatever number they think is, is realistic, all it takes is one team to go above that. Yeah. Yeah, if, if that's the Yankees, if that's uh, this team, that team, whatever, and say, no, nah, we'll give you 23 or we'll yeah. And so you're playing a dangerous game um, that I don't think the fans will warm up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're the Phillies this year, you're in a you're in a little bit of a bad spot in that you want to do well in this 60 game season. If you play six, you know, obviously every team has a shot. Pretty much, do you want JT to have a monster year? You know, if he goes out and, and has like an, maybe even an MVP type, you know, maybe he hits 15 home runs. Could happen. Maybe, maybe yeah. And the Phillies do well, well, you know, the price goes up. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know what John Middleton's thinking. I, I have no idea, but it would seem to me 
on this team right now. Now, this might not be the case three years from now mm-hmm. when he's 33 or 34, and that's the risk you always take when you give out some big money. But right now, isn't he one of the most important players on the team? Yeah, he I, I is. I mean, you have Harper, obviously, Nola. Um, give me a more important player than Rio Muto. There's not. Yeah, There's not. So, I mean, you can talk Hoskins. You can you can talk Wheeler, I guess. But to me, honestly, I think he's more important than Harper. He probably is. You you are you he might because be he, he gives because he gives Harper right. protection in the line. Well, he plays a position that's that's important. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, Kevin. Do they have another like? If for some reason they didn't sign him, they he went. Do they have a catcher in the organization or something who who is kind of maybe he's not, ready? He's not major league ready. No. Like how many years away or like couple? Two. Whoever the next catcher would be. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. So then you'd have to go out and get a catcher. And I, probably, I think I right? think they I think they have to approach this too as if you do re-sign real you have to re-sign real Mudo. Um you gave up so much with Sanchez and, and, and Alfaro to a head start on resigning him that you need to. But what if he wants 25? You have to find the way to make it work. Well, see, that's easy to say, and I get it. I, I hear where you're coming from. You've can't, if, if you're the Phillies, you have made this decision already. When well, you traded for him and what you traded for him, you have made this decision. Yeah, but they might not have thought it was going to be 25. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. You know, maybe they thought it was going to be 18. You know, I, I don't know this, but he seems hell-bent on getting the highest contract for a catcher, which actually is almost 10 years old now, which is amazing when you think about yeah. it. Um, and he wants 25. And I think if Riamolto digs his heels in, and if, especially if he has a good year this year, they will, I think he's going to say, I'm worth it. They and will, I'm, they I'm will not have settling. the money. They will have the money because, remember, they're going to lose Arietta. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, but then there's going to be other players at some point, right? Noah's going to have to get money, right? Uh, Noah's uh, signed. Noah's signed. Okay, Noah's who? Who else? Hoskins. If if they if they wind up, they want to keep him. Uh, you know, if it turns yeah, out that way. The strange uh, part is the strange part is at the end of the contract, Real Muto could end up at first. Okay, and what happens with the shortstop? If if he has a good year, you're going to probably want to resign sign him. him. You know, I don't. I, I guess. I mean, they're, I, they're 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 in a pickle. You know, for a yeah. team for a team that has a lot of questions, they're in a pickle because they don't have a lot of parts coming up from the minors. You think that are going to be? Hey, you got Bowman, no. you got Howard, and, and right. But right now, it doesn't appear like you have a lot of other, of other things that's in the immediate future, and you have a lot of decisions you're going to have to make. Well, I think it comes down to, Kevin, do you want to spend like the Dodgers and the Yankees and some of those teams, mm-hmm. or do you not? And we were led to believe two years ago that they were going to, um, that they didn't care about and now all of a sudden it became a big deal. So if you're going to stay under the salary cap and you got one guy in your team making 30-some, whatever yeah. Harper makes, or no, maybe he doesn't make that much. Maybe maybe he makes less than that. But, um, you know, at some point, uh, you know, you may run out of money. They're going to need more pitching at some point. Yeah, they if are. If is going after this year, they got to go out. They got to get some pitchers. Well, they'll, they'll have Howard coming up. I think they feel like they have a couple pitchers, pitchers okay. Okay. in the pipeline. If, but, you, th- if you think yeah, about but you know, 
Oh, go ahead. No, if you think about it, you have Nola Wheeler and Howard, you would assume, is three of your starters. Now you're going to have to get yeah. somebody else. Well, um, they're going to keep throwing those same two guys at the end. But you know how pitching is in baseball. Yeah, it you know, breaks down. You sit down. there and you say, we, we got this, and then all of a sudden one guy goes down or, you know, and then, you know, you're sitting there saying, oh, we don't have enough. Um, it's a weird sport. It's, you know, every year the Mets would come in with five great starters, and by Memorial Day they'd have two. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's – I agree with you in that I – think you have to sign Riamolto. But if that were the case, then they should have got it done last offseason. I agree. They're the ones that let it go to this. Okay? So now they're the ones that might have to pay the price on it. And yeah. so be it. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, anyway, any uh, anything on tap for you this weekend? I was supposed to play golf today, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, think? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to be like at 2 o'clock, but um, it it's, doesn't look good. It's supposed to be that way until about 8. I, I got my walking in today with an umbrella because we had to do this at 10 o'clock. So um, going down to Baltimore tomorrow to visit my daughter. And, uh, you know, next week we might not – Thursday might not be good. I have to talk to you about that. Um, but, you know, we'll figure it out. We can. We did it Friday this week, so what the hell. Yes. Yeah. Life is an audible. Yeah. Um, so where do you think? Okay, so we're going to talk Tuesday. Yeah, that's three. That's only four days, right? Four. Yeah, it's only two business what's days. Have, what's going to have changed between? Like, give Give me, you know, four days. What's going to happen in sports? Who else isn't going to play? You said the Pac-12 is probably going to do what the Big Ten did. They're going to supposed to have an announcement today. Um, okay. I think next week's a huge week. I think. Um, because obviously you'll have all the NBA teams in the bubble and we'll start to see how that is going. Baseball will be one week away from spring. Uh, and, and, you know, I mentioned this with, with Mike. Uh, you know, Buster Posey has not been at giant practice for three days, which makes you think he's ready to opt out. Um, I think we're. I, I think next week is a huge, huge, huge week on this whole restart. The, the NHL comes back. Uh, with full practices as they get ready to yeah. head to Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, Tigers back, which will lead yeah. to the PGA Tour. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 Mike, I, I, I will bet by this time next week, we will hear one other major conference say college football is done. When you say major conference, what do you mean by major conference? I think Not I, one of the five. I could see maybe the American I could see that. That's not one to five. Uh, no, no. I'm saying all right. Maybe yeah, I know what you're, the, yeah. the group. Okay. The the group of six, I guess, or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um, maybe the Mac. Maybe. I mean, think about how much yeah. the Mac. Think about how much the Mac schools are going to get pe- hurt financially because of all these guaranteed games they were going to get and the sa- and the pay the pay they were going to get. Yeah, from some of these places. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. There's no, yeah, and the Mac doesn't make any TV money, so they really depend on fans that come to the games. Even though maybe not a lot of fans coming. Did you see the thing today where Wimbledon is actually going to pay people? Wimbledon, which got canceled, they right. postponed it. They, they're not having it this year. They're actually going to pl- pay. I don't know how much they're going to pay, but I guess the players who had qualified for it, right? They're going to give them something, which I thought was actually kind of interesting. That you know. 
since they that made no cool. money this year. That is pretty cool. Um, yeah, but I mean, college, yeah, I, I'm of the belief, Kevin, that when we get to September, it's going to be so, uh, God, what's the right word? Chaotic? Is that is that a good word? It's I don't know. That it's just go- and it's going to get worse because it's so much easier if you say now we're not going to do this. You know the Ivy League, just hey, we're right. not doing. And that maybe we don't know if it's the right or wrong decision because we don't know what the world's going to be like. You know, maybe something's going to happen and the virus won't be as bad in September, right? As as we think it's going to be, and but and then you can be like the Florida governor and yell at everybody and tell them how wrong they were, and then two weeks later you ain't talking anymore. Because all of a sudden, your whole state's under, like, quarantine. Um, and because nobody knows how it's going to go, it's really hard to make decisions. Like, even if we get to September, and let's say it's okay that the Big Ten plays. So they wouldn't start till late September then, right? Because that's kind of when they're the, actually when the, looking at retooling their whole schedule. Where they're, they're, oh, they, okay, okay. To give themselves okay. some flexibility. Right. And then you, you get into the, the effect of how this affects a college football playoff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have those interconference games, how if, and you're how, just, it, you, how it impacts that yeah, game, you might end up with you know a goofy playoff this year if there's even a playoff. But I would think, and how about all those bowl games that are played like in December? Those minor bowl games that nobody really cares about. So they're, if you don't, they're going to go. Let's away. say the MAC doesn't play this year. Yeah, or the American doesn't play. Well, they that's like eight teams you're taking out of the the bowl pictures. Um, so you know, there, there's so many ripple effects. And Mike, was, remember, yeah. remember by this time next week, we will be 10 days away from the start of NFL training camps or the schedule start of yeah. NFL training camps. Yeah. I, I, and, and you are hearing players now yep. grumble about things. I, this is why, like, of the, pan, of the all the weeks of the pandemic, next week to me is the biggest one. Let me ask you, Kevin, if you were an offensive lineman on the Eagles, Let's say I would be retiring, do, 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 but I'm saying, do you want to line up every day for, oh. for two, three, four, whatever? I don't know how long it is and have the guy across from you. You know, you're, you're hitting him. He's hitting you. You're sweating on each other. Right. I don't even know if you can go to a locker room and take a shower. I don't know how the whole protocol for that is at some point, And one of the Eagles offensive linemen came out, right. And was saying basically that. Um, I, I can't remember who it was, um, but he said, this is nuts. This is nuts that we're, that we're being asked to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And, and you could see a scenario where, you know, let's say the, uh, the, the you know, the Falcons start off 0 and four and all of a sudden 10 their players walk in and say, you know what? <laughs> we ain't making the playoffs. I'm out of here. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I who there, knows? There are I, so many layers to this, and oh, uh, it, 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 you know, look, I, I think the NFL is going to play because I think that's what the NFL does. But I think you're, I think it's going to be a battle to play. I think it's going to be a a nasty, nasty situation between. I mean, and, and as Mike said, the fact that they're talking about escrow. It oh yeah, beyond. You knew that was going to happen. It was the same thing as baseball. Yep, same exact thing. The owners wake up one day and say, "Whoa, wait a second. We might not have fans in the stands. We might not sell as much merchandise." Hey, they're owners. That's you know that that's what happens. Yep. But what's being lost in all this, Kevin? I find this amazing. We're talking about basketball, hockey, football, 
everything and anything. We totally forget about the we totally forget about the life things that are happening. Yeah. You see the scenes from Arizona, you see the scenes from Florida, you see the scenes from Texas. It's just like almost what was happening in New York three months ago. Yep. Like, but we're worried about playing a football game or a baseball game or whatever game we're talking about. Are we that uh, shallow? Yeah, I, I can't come up with the right word. There's shallow a word there that would make sense. Shallow. Um, I guess uh, it just seems to me that what we should be focusing on is that. And then if the others, and I get it, people are, are unemployed, they're, they're, they're losing money, businesses are closing, we should be working to fix those things mm-hmm. in the right way. Wear the mask, social distance, do whatever you have to do to maybe make this work. And it seems like we've taken a step backward. Yeah. And that can't be good going into the fall. No. It just can't. Um, which leads you to doubt. How much of this can actually be pulled off and how much can't? And at some point, when we reach like 250,000 Americans dead, will we really care no. if the Eagles are beating? And I understand we will care if the Eagles are playing the Redskins. You know, it's a football game. We'll, well they won't be the Redskins. We'll bet but- it. But, man, I, you know, I don't know. I Maybe I'm just an old fogey. Yeah. So I don't know. Next week, Dave Jones, Matt Gelb. Uh, beyond that, we have uh, Russ Tucker has agreed to come on the podcast to talk some football. Uh, Spike Eskin is coming on to talk the NBA, and Jason Martinez is coming on to talk a little uh, a little hockey um, as we gear up for the restart. I know Mike's excited. Excited about what? All those people coming on. Yeah, there wasn't one person you mentioned that I – yeah, I mean, Jason should be – you get people that know that sport. Sure, but again, a lot of what we're going to be talking about with them or anybody else is hypotheticals. It is. That's where all these conversations are going to go. It's like a hypothetical. What do you – you know, we don't sit here and go, well, how do you think the Sixers are going to do against the Celtics? Let's try to break that down. No, it's like – If they get started, we will. It's still – we're still waiting for the start. Right, but it's still going to be questions of. No, I hear you. You know, if, if the Sixers are playing the Celtics in a seven-game series, we don't know if Joel Embiid's going to test positive the day before the first game, or if the or if Jason Tatum's going to test positive mm. before the. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we've seen. I, I find it interesting this the the um, MLS tournament that's going on in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Two teams have already pulled out. Yeah. Already because yep. of this. Uh, do we think the MLS is any different than any of these other things? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming they're trying to do everything they can to play also. Yep. <laughs> so. In Orlando, by the way, where, but, you know, as long as Joel Embiid can get enough food, um, you know, that makes me, I mean, I, I find the last thing that Joel Embiid should be worrying about in Orlando is a the quality of his food, mm-hmm. or b the amount of his food? That 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 should just be Joel. Get anything, you, but Joel wants to get in shape anyway. So maybe eating better and eating less won't be such a bad thing, right? Maybe, maybe. All right, Michael. 
Okay, I will talk to you when I talk to you. I will talk to you on Tuesday. Thanks to Mike Pistinelli for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been Work of the Beat.